We're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 7. So there's a division now in the book of Daniel. We had heard a lot about the life of Daniel and he was interpreting dreams for for, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and then for King uh, uh, Belshazzar. He interpreted the writing, he read the writing on the wall and interpreted the meaning of it. But now, once you get into chapter 7, there's a switch, and it's, it's entirely prophetic. And so here, Daniel is no longer relating little instances that are happening in his life. He's relating prophecy, prophetic things that are happening. This takes place in Daniel chapter 7 in 553 B.C. It is 14 years before the fall of Babylon. So remember, we already covered in chapter 5 the fall of Babylon, how, how um, the Medo-Persia had taken over Babylon, how King Darius was installed as king of the province of Babylon. Cyrus was still the supreme leader in, in Persia. And then we read in, the, in, in chapter 6 about how King Darius... Uh, uh, had had had, uh, <clears throat> had had Daniel put into the lion's den and how Daniel was delivered from that. But now this is 14 years before the fall of Babylon. So it, it is... Uh, um, so in, in the last chapter, it started with, with uh, in the first year of Darius. So imagine this. You're watching a movie and now you see a new scene and it says, 14 years earlier... That's what we're doing, okay? We're jumping back 14 years. Because Daniel has divided the book into instances and and, and his dealings in life, and now he's talking strictly about prophecy. So Nebuchadnezzar has been dead now for nine years. After Nebuchadnezzar, there were three kings that followed in Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar usurped the throne in 556 B.C., And then in 533 B.C., Belshazzar was made co-regent. That was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He was made co-regent. He was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. That was in 533 B.C. And we read in verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So that's where we are, 533 B.C. It's Belshazzar's first year. Daniel is about 65 to 67 years old at this time. Chapter 7 actually falls chronologically between chapters 4 and 5. And so, so that's where we are. So let, let's start reading this. And it's, it's all prophetic. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet, like a man. A human mind was also given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and thus... They said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had four heads 
and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. So what we see here is full of imagery. This is similar to what we had covered in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And he he dreamt that there was a great statue and its head was of gold, its breast was of iron, its, it, uh, I'm sorry, its breast was of silver, its midsection was of bronze, and its legs and its feet were made of iron and then mixed with clay at the feet. These are one and the same prophecies to the extent that it's talking about four kingdoms. And this is what we're going to see here, that it's relating to four kingdoms. But Nebuchadnezzar's dream was dealing with it from a human perspective. It was the grandeur of these four great kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Daniel interpreted it for us. And Daniel was the one who who got the interpretation, both knew what the dream was and got the interpretation. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the king of gold. You you are the head of gold on the statue. And then after you is coming another kingdom... That that uh, um, and that is is the one of silver, and we know already from this book that that second kingdom was going to be Medo-Persia. Then he says that there is going to be a third kingdom, and and that third kingdom we know from history that th- this was the Greeks, and then the fourth was was the Rome, and then continuing on this same sort of Roman ty- type of domination that appeared and continued on into this this day. as far as this time goes, and we'll see more of that. Now, why do we even care about prophecy? Some people say, you know, don't try to interpret any of this. It's it's not worth it. Well, first of all, the the Bible interprets a lot of it for us. Second of all, it's in the Bible. But third of all, Jesus related these things. Now, it's hard to get precise interpretation and precise years from this. But what it does is it gives us a pattern of history. And Jesus dealt with, with certain things and he shared with us what, some of the reasons why these sort of things are given. If we turn, for example, to John, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. And we're going to start reading from verse... 18, John chapter 2, verse 18. The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Okay, so Jesus turns out to be speaking metaphorically. So, so they, they want from him a sign. And Jesus said, tear down this temple. So that temple, it says it, it took uh, 
It took 46 years to build this temple. That's how long it had taken to that date. Actually, that temple continued to be built. It took 70 years to actually complete. It was completed after Jesus' death. He says, how are we going to tear it down and you're going to rebuild it in a day? You're going to rebuild it in three days. And then verse 21 it says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they, beheld, they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. So, John, the writer of this, who's writing this after Jesus had said it, said Jesus was speaking metaphorically. He was speaking of his body. And so that his body was going to be raised after three days. His disciples remembered it, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the, the Bible gives us prophecy so that when it occurs, we believe all the more in the truth of what's taken place. You see what I mean? This is what one of the reasons why he gives us prophecy. So that when, it, when we see the prophecy fulfilled, we go, whoa. You know, this is just like the Bible said. This is one of the reasons why it's there. And Jesus spoke metaphorically. He was speaking metaphorically now. Turn to John chapter 14. So turn to chapter 14 of John and you'll see something that that, uh, gives us a little bit more insight. John chapter 14 and we'll start reading at verse uh, verse 23. John chapter 14 verse 23. I'm sorry, we'll start reading at verse 28. Verse 28, John 14, verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. It's interesting. Jesus would again prophesy things that were going to take place, So that when it happens, we would go, it's just like Jesus said. This is why He gives us prophecy. This is why we study the prophecy that's in Scripture. Scripture will very often speak metaphorically. And that's what's happening in the book of Daniel. So turn back to the book of Daniel. To Daniel chapter 7. And let's start looking at this. And we'll we'll start looking at at, at what he begins to say. So numerous times, eight times in fact, Daniel will say, I was looking in a a vision. I was looking, or I saw while looking. Eight times he will repeat this. So it says in verse 1, he saw a dream and visions in his mind. So he was in bed, he dreamt something. He had a dream. Then when he woke up, This was followed by visions. Visions are what happens when one is awake. Dreams are what happens when people are asleep. Again, in this culture, we don't put much stock in dreams and visions. If people say they have visions, we think they're crazy. And so we dismiss them. If they try to put too much meaning into a dream, we dismiss them. There are other cultures which are actually very different. And so God doesn't tend to speak to us much through dreams and through visions. Because in our culture, we dismiss this sort of thing. If you were to go to an Islamic culture, they put a lot 
of emphasis on dreams. And they will interpret dreams based on books. They have books. You know, if you see a lizard, it's this. If you see a star, it's that. And, and you can begin to piece things together. A lot of that is based on people that had dreams, things took place, and they said, well, what I had seen in the dream was this. And so they related to that. So there was a, a naturalistic explanation to things that were taking place. And they put these in the books and they recorded them. You see throughout the book of, of Daniel, God speaks in visions and in dreams. And he did right on into the New Testament. He spoke to, to Peter in a vision of a sheet coming down and animals in it and saying, all food is declared clean. That was in a vision when, when Peter was awake. He spoke to Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He spoke to Joseph in a dream and he said, don't divorce your wife. This is by the Holy Spirit. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. So even in the New Testament, God speaks in visions and in dreams. Daniel had this dream and, he was, and, he, and it says in verse 1 that, that then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. So Daniel recorded his dream. He wrote it down. And what we have is a summary of what he saw in his dream and in his visions. This is a summary of it. It's not all the details. It's a summary. Daniel said, I was looking. So again, this is the... He, he's saying, I was looking. I beheld in my vision by night. And behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up a great sea. These four winds are the same as these four kingdoms that we saw in Daniel chapter 2. And then he starts talking about the great sea. The Great Sea is always referred to in Scripture as the Mediterranean Sea. Is their Great Sea, and the Great Sea is referred to very often as as uh, 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 the Gentile world. The Great Sea is the Gentile world, and so we know these sort of things. So, so for example, in in Isaiah seventeen twelve and thirteen, Matthew thirteen forty seven fifty, Revelation seven one and fifteen. So there are pieces of other scriptures that reveal to us that the great sea speaks of the nations. The nations are speaking of the non-Jewish world. So out of the Gentile world, not out of Israel, but out of the Gentile world, these kingdoms are going to come out. So out of the Gentile world, there is stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you had this huge, magnificent statue. From man's perspective, it was huge and great. Now we're seeing from God's perspective. He likens it to animals, to great beasts. Four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one. Okay, so the first to come up was, was a lion, and this lion had wings. And so we know from other scriptures that Babylon was described as a lion. That's from Jeremiah 4.7. Jeremiah, remember, was a contemporary of Daniel's living in, in Israel. And then, then we know from Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel's living in Babylon. He had come during that second onslaught. He had come with the 10,000 artisans. And he was ministering to the Jewish masses. Daniel was in the temple. And so he describes in, in Ezekiel 17, verse 3, Babylon like an eagle. If you go to the Ishtar Gate, which 
they have found the Ishtar Gate. This was one of the main gates into the city of Babylon. These relics are no longer in Babylon, thankfully, or they'd probably be destroyed. This particular relic is in Berlin. And you can see that Babylon at the Ishtar Gate was a lion with wings. A wing had, had lions inscribed on it with wings. This is exactly how it's described. This is Babylon he's describing. Then he says, but the wings were plucked. He was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was given to it. This is the conversion now of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. He was given a mind. We're going to see these other beasts. They never have a human mind. This man is the one that really gave his heart to the Lord. He was given a human mind. And he had had this period where he was conquering. And then after that period of conquering, he was just building, building, building during that period, during that last portion of his life. And then he goes on and he says, And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. So another beast is coming out of the sea resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side. And three ribs were in its mouth, between its teeth. And thus it said, Arise, devour much meat. This is again the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Medo was, the, the, king, the Medes were subservient to the Persians. It was a dual kingdom, but they were subservient. It was raised up on one side. The Persians were the higher side. This is why the, this, this bear walked funny. It was raised up on one side. And it had three ribs in its teeth. The three ribs are speaking of Babylon, which it conquered, Egypt, which it conquered, and Lydia, which it conquered. And those three lands it conquered, plus many other smaller lands, the meat in its mouth. This we see, remember, this is a prophecy that, that is taking place before the fall of Babylon. So these have then been fulfilled. And then he, then he, he talks about another one that's raised up. He says, after this I kept looking and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. This leopard is, is remember, the, 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 the third kingdom in that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? That was the Greeks. The Greeks through Alexander the Great had conquered. This was the Hellenistic Empire. And it had moved more swiftly than any other kingdom. Conquered great lands very, very rapidly. Leopards moving very, very fast. Having four wings, able to move quickly. And then it says, it says it had four heads. When Alexander the, Greek, Alexander the Great died, it was divided up to four emperors, uh, uh, to four generals, divided up the kingdom. And they took massive amounts of land, much more land than... than uh, um, than the Persians or the Babylonians had ever taken. And it was divided up to these four generals. And again, you see this before it ever took place. So we look back at it, we go, wow, that's really amazing. These prophecies long before it had taken place. And then, then he goes on. He says, After this I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong. It had large iron teeth, it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And the three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. 
We will see the description of the Antichrist throughout Scripture at this, from this point onward throughout Scripture. Every time you see the Antichrist, he will be uttering great boasts, great boasts about himself. Let's read on in verse, verse 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and his hair, hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. So this fourth beast that comes out is the beast that continues on to this day and will continue on throughout, throughout uh, uh, the seven years of tribulation. This beast started with the Roman Empire and continued on. This ten that dominates the earth as we're going to see this speaks of ten different kings that are going to form a new world order of one domination, one world order. There will be a common world order that is governing ten kings. Then the Antichrist. You say, how do you know all this? It's in Scripture. This is clarified for us in the teachings of Jesus in the end of, in the end of Matthew when he's speaking about the future times. We covered that in this class. And then it's spoken about heavily in the book of Revelation from chapter 12, 13 onward. Spoken about heavily. And this is what scriptures do. They reveal something to us and then when it's revealed again they give us more information and again they give us more information. This is ten kingdoms that are going to cover the entire earth. Nothing in that generation was covering the entire earth. It was restricted to the Middle East and then Europe. It's, there's going to be ten kings covering the entire earth these are going to unite as one under one world order. And then the Antichrist will come. He will squash three of those kings. And that Antichrist will reign for a period of three and a half years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation. You say, oh, how do you know three and a half years? Daniel revealed that it was going to be for a time, times, and half a time. Times in the book of Daniel refer to a year. You say, well, that, that's, uh, that, that's um, how do you know? Well, because in the book of Revelations, in the book of Revelation, it actually, it actually speaks of it differently. It actually speaks of, of uh, um, so 36 months is, is, uh, is three years. And then you add another six months to that, you have 42 months. So in the book of Revelation, it says it will happen for 42 months that, that, that the Antichrist will reign, that equals three and a half years. You say, well, that's still not specific enough. And then it, the next verse, it goes on, it says, it'll be for 1,260 days. <laughs> right? And so it will repeatedly say for a period of three and a half years, right in the middle of the, of the tribulation, the Antichrist will stand up and he will make his boasts clear. This is not revealed as much in the book of Daniel as it is later in, 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 uh, in Matthew and in, then in the book of Revelation. That after three and a half years, the Antichrist, after three and a half years of the tribulation, the Antichrist will raise up and he will seat himself in the temple. How do I know we're not in the seven year tribulation? Because I don't see anybody sitting in the temple 
in Israel, in Jerusalem, proclaiming to be God. This Bible speaks of him in Daniel as a horn, a small horn that comes up and then dominates all the other horns. When we get to, to, uh, um, to 2 Thessalonians, Paul describes them without any, without any, uh, um, without any, any imagery now. Paul speaks of him as a man. And then in the book of Revelation, he's described as a man and he's given a number to his name. He's even given a number. So, but what's interesting here is all of a sudden in verse 9, the scene changes. In verse 9, you have the Ancient of Days stands up there. You see his hair is ablaze and you, you see this, this wool and the snow speaks of purity. And then he says that his throne is ablaze. This is the judgment that's coming. The wheels are a burning fire. Ezekiel speaks heavily of the wheels in much more detail than does Daniel. These are, this is the judgment coming. And it says a river of fire. Fire speaks of the judgment. And thousands upon thousands were attending him. This is the myriad of angels that are attending God. They will now display his power. And it says, and books were opened. The court sat and the books were opened. This is the judgment of the Gentiles. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew, where the Gentiles were judged. He will bring in the Gentiles, those that do not know Him, and they will undergo the great white throne judgment. This is described in detail in the New Testament. Here, Daniel is given this. In 550 B.C., Daniel is given this. This is the first glimpse of this that's going to happen. And then, then he says, in the midst of this judgment... In the midst of the judgment that, that the Antichrist comes forth boasting. And then we're going to see this tremendous hope. In verse 13, I kept looking in a night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So you see it says in verse 13, I kept looking in a night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. This Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. This is a remarkable, remarkable portion. Remember this picture. With the clouds of heaven, that speaks of the Shekinah glory. He's going to come in the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man is going to come. In the book of Acts, when the disciples were looking up, Jesus was taken up into the air, it says, and then clouds came and carried him off. And the angel said, why are you still looking at him? Just as Jesus left, he's coming back. Just as he left, he's coming back. How did he leave? He left, riding on the clouds. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to start reading from verse... Let's start reading from verse 62. Matthew 26, 62. So this is the first religious trial that Jesus went through. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What are these things that these men are testifying against you? So these men were, were, were saying things, saying lies about Jesus, and Jesus didn't offer a word. He didn't have to testify. Didn't have to say anything. But Jesus kept silent, it says in verse 63. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
I adjure you. When he says, I adjure you, this is a command that Jesus has to speak. This is the high priest speaking and he puts him under oath with this adjuring and he has to speak. So now Jesus is obliged to speak. He says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us whether you are the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Son of God. They viewed the Son of God. I know in our context we say the Son of God doesn't necessarily mean God. In the Jewish context, it absolutely means God in the flesh. When you say someone is the Son of God, and we cover this in detail in, 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 the, uh, uh, in our last teaching, which was the chronological life of Jesus. I adjure you by the, to tell us whether you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. To say you have said it yourself is an emphatic way of saying yes. Like if you were to say, are you going to watch the Super Bowl today? If I said, you said it, I mean, that's an emphatic yes. We have expressions like that in English. This was their expression for you said it. You said it yourself, he says. And that's why you look in other Gospels and they'll just translate this as yes. This is an emphatic yes. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming, in the cloud, coming on the clouds of heaven. How did Jesus describe himself as coming? He said, you are going to see... How did he describe himself? He referred to himself often as the Son of Man. How, did he re, how was he referred to in Daniel? The Son of Man, and he came in the clouds. Jesus describes himself... He, he says, they say, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus said, you've said it yourself. They don't do anything. They're just, wow, I can't believe he said that. But now, when he says, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, then the high priest tore his clothes. And he said he's blasphemed. This really threw him. Jesus saying, you said it, didn't throw him. But when he said, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, uh, the Son of Man coming in the clouds, the high priest knew. He was hearkening back to the book of Daniel. The high priest knows the book of Daniel better than you do. He knew, he was hearkening back to the book of Daniel. That this was a reference that Jesus was saying, he is the one who is going to be judge. The, remember, the court was open. The, the books were open. The court was in session. But... The Ancient of Days is not the one doing the judging. It's Jesus. They're all going to be subject to Him. And Jesus is saying, here I am on trial in front of you. You just wait. You're going to be in trial, on trial in front of me. This is what He's saying. I'm the one coming in the clouds. And this is why He tore His robes. And he, he's not, Remember, He wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't allowed to show emotion during a trial. And he, he, I mean, they broke one rule after another during these trials. And then he said, you now have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, he deserves death. When they heard this, they said, he deserves death. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. So in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr, is about to die for his faith. The first Christian martyr is Stephen. And he's about to die. And, and um, so... He describes them, this. they put him on trial, and he starts talking to them, and he starts describing the history of Israel. Once he finishes all of that, he starts really going after the people who are accusing him. He says in, 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 in verse 51, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, You men 
who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. So remember, Jews were the circumcised people, but he says, in your heart you're not circumcised. I mean, this is a real insult. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. I don't know what the analogy would be, but you can think of the words that somebody might say to you to get you riled up. I mean, this guy's saying it. I mean, he's on trial here. It wasn't a formal trial. I mean, they were just a mob trial. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet you did not keep it. I mean, do you think this man is saying something that could be thought of as offensive? I mean, where's the safe space? <laughs> right? I mean, this guy is, is just throwing it out there. And this is in the Bible. And he was the first martyr. He's proclaiming it. He's just giving it right to them. But they're not doing anything. They're just staring at him. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth. So they were really offended by this. <sighs> but they're still not touching them. But being full of the Spirit, he, meaning, meaning uh, uh, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Son of Man. He calls upon the Son of Man, hearkening back to the book of Daniel. I see the Son of Man, the judge of all the earth, standing there next to God. I see Him, the Son of Man. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at Him with one impulse. And when they had driven Him out of the city, they began stoning Him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes. And then they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. What caused them to want to kill him? Not his causing, calling them stiff-necked. Not his accusing them being like their fathers, killing all the prophets. What, what, he, what they wanted to kill him about is when he called on the Son of Man, and he said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. They knew the book of Daniel. What doesn't influence us at all, we just say, oh, that's, that's a nice story in Daniel chapter 7. I mean, these guys took it literally. This meant something to them, that the Son of Man, and we're going to see more details of this prophecy next week. And we're going to start picking apart these details and see what it means. But just remember, the end of it is this. The end of it all is the Son of Man will reign. He is going to be returning on the clouds. Just as they prophesied, and just as we've seen pieces of this prophecy fulfilled throughout history, there are many pieces that have yet to be fulfilled. That's why I know we are not in the tribulation. Because we haven't had this one world government, this one world order yet. We haven't had ten kings under one world order the, the, the rapture can occur at any time where God will take the church, the believers in the church, and take them. That can happen at any time. 
But the second coming of Christ will not occur until many things have yet to be fulfilled before His return. How do I know that? Because the Bible says so. It says it. And it even gives us the period of years for these things to take place. It is very, very specific. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that You so fill them to overflowing with the truth of the Gospel. Father, that as they see the things that You have spoken about taking place, that they will hearken back and remember the words of Jesus, remember the words of prophecy. Father, You have given us this to remember, to be in awe of You. Father, I pray for these young people that You would save their souls. There will be a great great white throne judgment for those that do not know You. And Father, I pray for those that do not know You, that You would draw them to Jesus, that You would turn them to You. And Lord, I pray for those here who don't know You, that You would draw them, draw them to Jesus, that they would bow their hearts and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Draw them to Yourself, I pray. And Lord, I pray that You'd draw them even closer through the things that will be said now in the name of Jesus. Amen.